five, the design process. Welcome to the SaaS Venture Podcast. Sharing the adventure of leading and growing a bootstrap SaaS company. Hear the experiences, challenges, wins, and losses shared in each episode. From Aaron Wykey of GatherUp and Darren Shaw of Whitespark. Let's go. Welcome to the SaaS Venture Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Darren. And... We are super excited to talk this week because it's it's been a few weeks since we've connected, but we we have a we have a common theme. I I just got back from a, a week in London, and you're headed over to England in in a handful full of days. So we like yep. we, we almost could have met and recorded a podcast live from London. We're going to do that eventually, for sure. We're going to be at the same place. Maybe when we're at Moscon, we should definitely plan a podcast when we're there together. That'd be awesome. Genius. And should we have like a live crowd and like a t-shirt cannon and that kind of stuff? Yes, definitely. <laughs> and an applause sign. So like whenever we say something funny, someone uh, flashes the applause button. There you go. It's you and I, and then like, you know, hopefully three people and then our t-shirt cannon. Exactly. And just some guys showed up to get the free scones or something. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. If we give enough good free stuff, they'll show yep, up. So for sure. So yeah, I'm going to London in a couple of weeks here. I got to go to London to do a presentation at Brighton SEO. And I'm also doing a training session. It sounds like you got some training stuff coming up too. So yeah, tell me about your trip though. How was London? What was the best thing? Oh, the best thing regardless of location. It was the first trip my wife and I, where we've had seven days together since our first child, which she turns 15 next week, yeah. right? So wow. Yeah. We've, you know, plenty of like three, maybe even a four day getaway, but having a full week, right? Like at some point midway, it was just like, wow, we've gotten so much time together. We maybe ran out of things to even talk about. And then we're like, okay, cool. Silence is even cool. And then we just found other things to talk about, right? It was, it was so great. And yeah, we, we divided our trip halfway between the countryside of England. So we went out to an area called the Cotswolds Uh about an hour, hour and a half outside of the London area and like super small little villages, one way, one lane roads to get in between, like driving out there was nuts. Like, man, I, there's so many times where I thought for sure that one side of the car was going to be sheared off by the other car. So, right. Do you ever have to like stop and like one car has to reverse until the road gets wide enough for someone to pass? Yeah, no, we totally had some of that going on. And, you know, just so many times where the locals, they're still doing 40, 50 miles an hour on a one lane road. And I'm like, right, I'm, I'm like <laughs> over to the side and then there's, you know, stone walls next to every road. There's no shoulder. Yep. I mean, it, it, was, it was just crazy. I, I definitely out loud shared how I felt a few different times and I couldn't believe we never even like touched mirrors out of all of it. It, it was crazy. It's funny. I had that same experience in Italy for sure. Like driving down these tiny little roads between like buildings and 
You're like, how are we both going to fit through there? But then you managed to do it. Yeah. And the locals are like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Just drive your car, man. The locals the locals stuck behind me hated me because I was nowhere. Yeah, when they would post the speed limit, I'm like, how can somebody go that fast? I can't go 40 here. Like, that's not happening. <laughs> totally. So, yeah. yeah, it was great. And then just the beauty and the calmness and the serenity of, of out there was awesome. I really, really love that part. And then we went into London for four days. And that, you know, just such a mixture of, um, you know, we, we went to the theater, just so much sightseeing, so much history. It's like everywhere you turn is something that you would never see in the States, right? And that that's the cool part about it to me is just these just, you know, photographic visuals of little alleys and buildings and little cafes and pubs and things like that, where it's just like, oh, oh my, like, you're in this huge area, but every 10 feet is something to look at. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook. Your photos were beautiful. Yeah. No, and that like, right, not even not even close to all the ones captured. Those are just some of them. So, yeah, it was really, really great. Um, and, yeah, you're going to – I can't – I'll give you a few tips. And there's just so much to explore there. I, I, I would love to go back. That was my first time, and I, I'd be very excited to go back. Yeah, Jill and I are in a similar situation. We've never uh, taken a long trip like that away from uh, our daughter. She usually comes with us if we're going somewhere for a while. But, uh, you know, just like two nights, most – I think two nights is the most we've ever done, actually. We've never done more than that. And she's eight now, so we got we got another seven years, I guess, before we can have the seven-day vacation. <laughs> well, hopefully you get it in sooner than I, I did because yeah. – Oh man, it's it it was it was really great. It was awesome for both of us. So yep. you're headed over to London to do a do a conference, right? Yeah. So I'm speaking at Brighton and also doing a, a training thing. So I've been very busy trying to. I'm doing a really interesting case study where I take a business from nowhere, like the brand new zero online presence business, and I've been trying to see how how wide I can get them to rank in the local results, right? So tracking their location across multiple zip codes and doing everything I can, like all the regular local search stuff and being able to measure the impact at every step, which has been really great. So it's like, okay, they got three new reviews. Wow, look at what happened to the rankings. Like just those three reviews gave them a massive ranking boost. And so because it's so dialed in um, and they had nothing going on before, it's this clean, clear case study of what happens at each phase and how that impacts local search. So it's been really great. I'm excited about that. But it's been taking me too long and I've been putting too much time into it and not enough time into preparing for the local search training I'm doing on one of the days. So I have to spend about seven hours giving a full day training course. So I'm going to be really slammed all next week trying to get all that stuff done. Oh, yep. So much, so much work all the time yep. to get ready for that stuff. But wow, that your study sounds awesome. I'm going to be excited. To, uh, hopefully you share that, share that deck with me when you're done with it. Yeah. So basically I've got like four months into it for Brighton. And so I'll have that much data, but I'm also going to show it at MozCon. So I'll have another two, three months of data to present and more things like, you know, as we get more links and as we do more things, uh, how that impacts local search. And so ideally we'll have them ranking around the whole country in local search <laughs> by the end of this. Nice. So, well, I, I, work, work I like that. I, I'll be able to see it in person then at, at MozCon. And That's right. speaking of MozCon, I'm, I'm excited. Gather Up is going to be one of the sponsors for MozCon. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
We've done it a few years and it's been really great. You're gonna, you get a lot. You've, you would, you've done it before though, haven't you? Or just the local? Yeah, just only the local. Haven't, haven't sponsored the regular one, but it's, I mean, it's such a fit for our audience, right? Because our two biggest audiences are like multi-location and brands and then agencies, right? And that's the entire thousand plus people is for the most part, either an agency person or someone in-house at, at a larger brand. I think it's going to be huge for you guys. It's going to be really, really good. You're going to have a ton of great conversations. And uh, yeah, it's definitely your audience. It's uh, I, th- I thought Moz had some kind of review product in Moz Local, no? They have uh, review monitoring for a couple of sites. And that's really that's about right. it. Yep. Comes from okay. like your GMB integration, stuff like that. But nothing for acquisition or review widgets or all the yeah. other wonderful things we do. So Cool. Cool. I'll try to I'll see if I can squeeze a, a mention of Gather Up into my slide deck for you. <laughs> there you go. Every time you do it, it buys you one beer. One beer. Wow. <laughs> Great. I'm going to get a six pack eventually. Yeah, I got to keep my uh, budget low after spending <laughs> on right. conferences. So, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, MozCon is at, uh, sort of having a booth at MozCon is about a billion times better than a booth at any other conference because they only let like eight businesses in and they're right. It's like, Everyone that's coming into the main uh, conference center to watch the talks, they walk right through the booths every time. And then after the uh, conference gets out and they open the doors for snack time, the snacks are right there where you're hanging out. And so it's like everyone comes right to you. It's not like you have this expo hall, which is often separate from the conference. Yep. So you get massive exposure. So it's the best best place I've ever seen for like a conference booth. I think yeah. it's going to be great for you. That, that's exactly what I shared with our team because n- none of, yeah, I don't think anyone else from our team has ever been to uh, uh, just the regular MozCon. So I, I told them that I'm like the, the placement and the numbers, right? You're not one of a hundred or 500 booths. You're not tucked in a corner. You're not hoping people find their way to you. Like you're right in the flow and there's just a handful and you're so visible and so accessible that yeah, I'm I'm really hoping it's going to be a, a a great thing for us. So I'm I'm definitely excited about it. It's going to be good. How how much time do we have here? I did want to ask you like, what is your conference process? But I guess we're into ten minutes. Let's get into the main the, the meat of this podcast. There you go. Another time we'll go on. Maybe after MozCon, then I then we can talk about you know how right. I did IFA a couple of weeks ago, and I've had a couple of really good leads. Yeah. I, I'm hopefully closing a deal or two from that coming up, which totally takes care of what that investment was. Um, and then we'll see how MozCon goes. And then, yeah, let's do that for a, a subject down the line. We'll, we'll, we might even be, we'll be in double digits by then. <laughs> It'll be ep- mean? episode 10 or 12, oh, yeah. right? Exactly. <laughs> we can actually talk about that at MozCon. That actually might be a good topic for when we're at MozCon. Boom. Talk about conferences, right? Yeah, totally. All right. Well, with that, just as you uh, alluded to, and um, you know, this week you kind of bra- brought up the the main topic of of looking at kind of the the design process, right? And you had, you kind of have a number of things from when we started chatting before we hit record and and notes put together. But yeah, I'd I'd love to you know I'd love to see you kind of break this apart and talk about some of your challenges and share some of the things that uh, that that we're doing and 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 see where we end up with all this design stuff because it sure does matter. It does matter, you know. So this has come up for us recently because we just sort of finished our 
revisions on the brand new local citation finder that we're building. So we, we tore it down, started from scratch, rebuilt the whole thing. And as a result, we have a whole new interface, right? So the way that our process works is this first phase of this local citation was what we called feature parity. We're building it in a brand new uh, in development stack and bringing it up to modern standards. And as we're doing that, we're kind of re-envisioning some of the UI, some of the layout, some of the design, and just improving things as we go. And so we got it as far as we could. So now we have a feature parity kind of version of the local citation finder. It looks a million times better. It uh, has a lot of new functionality. We kind of took it quite a bit beyond feature parity. And it looks great. It looks a lot better than the existing one, but I don't want to stop there. And so what we've done now is I've I've given it to our designer, this free, freelance company we use out of Croatia, Creativa Studios. These guys are awesome. And so they're going to take a pass through it where they just kind of go through each screen and Photoshop it up, right? And so they put their spin on it and then it'll come back to us and we put a fresh face on it and then we launch the thing. And so that's been our process for this software. And it really got me thinking about design because I feel like that's pretty ass backwards. I think a lot of businesses... Uh, SaaS businesses go the other direction. They start with the designs. They start with the wireframes and they conceptualize everything. And they do a lot of painstaking planning. Then based off of the plans and the wireframes and designs, they start building the software. And, you know, I can see the merit to that, but I have to tell you, every time we've tried to do it that way, what ends up happening is by the end of it, we have a completely different product than the designs and it works. But a lot of that initial time spent up front is, is wasted because once you start building the software and using it and trying it and tweaking it, you realize a lot of those original concepts don't work or you want it to be slightly different. And so that's why I feel like our organic approach, it works for us anyway. So where we, we just kind of build first and design after we put a better face on it after because it's the functionality and the user interface and our my developers are decent enough at design to make it look fine and then we can make it look really good after the fact what do you guys do over at uh, gather up how do you how do you build a new feature for example do you completely design it first and then build it out or do you kind of build it and then say how do we make it look better yeah, so I mean, th this has definitely been an area of evolution for us in the last, you know, th three and a half, nearly four years since I came on, just because I'm, I'm a much more like process driven person, plus as the company's grown and things like that. Um, where we kind of start now is any new feature um, basically starts in, in, in a feature spec, just in a, in a Google Doc. And yeah, we do it too. Yep. So you're writing down, here's the business case. Here's why we want to do it. Um, and then you just start writing down the little things, the dependencies. In this situation, it was do this. Here's what to keep in mind, right? And we try to get that through a, a first pass as far as possible. Um, after that, you know, what it used to be, and, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I should talk about where we came from or, or where we've arrived at first, but, right. um, you know, where we came from is, you know, once upon a time, yeah, we would freelance it out. So we wouldn't even really create a design spec. We'd, we'd create a wireframe, right? We would conversationally all be talking about it. And we'd either create something where we could all mark it up or create examples off of existing screens or, you know, what, whatever that might look like. And then we would take it 
to a designer and ask them to design it. Or we would even say like, all right, let's just reuse some of the elements we have from this screen and yeah. this screen. And, and we'd have our devs kind of build it without a designer. And let's just say all of those like failed miserably in many different ways. So what's your process now? Yeah. So now, right, it goes feature spec. One, one big change that we did is we said like, all right, we're going to hire a designer because for us, it was hitting upon a couple of different things. One, we badly needed like a V2 of our interface. Our interface felt dated. There is, you know, some not so great decisions. Our style sheets were starting to blow apart because there was just no consistency. So we had a number of things. And so I just looked and I was just like, all right, I've, I'm, I'm a very visual person and visual interface and all that really matters to me. So I basically went and tapped someone who was my creative director at my previous agencies and recruited right. him and just said, Here, here's an opportunity for you. Everything needs to be redone. We have a rebrand coming up as well. Um, and we basically brought him on as our chief experience officer. We look at, he's the one responsible for how people touch the product and interact with it. Um, all, all these different kinds of aspects to it. So we go from feature spec to now he's usually creating like a, you know, what we would call like a, a low fidelity wireframe. And we're using that in Envision to make it clickable so you can click and move around and, and start to get like, all right, here's how we move through three or four things to get rid of a just static design where it's like, yeah, it looks great. And then just as you're alluding to, once you click or do something, it, it starts to fall apart. Yep. So we kind of drive home that idea in Envision first. Once he gets to that, then he's like, all right, we've solved most of those things. We understand it. And then we bring it into design. Now, the other thing we have going for us is we've also kind of created a, a, a library now of this is what this is and how it's used, right? Sure. So getting a lot more down with what the size things are, how tables are presented, buttons, spacing, you know, wh whatever that might be. It's not very Wild West at all. 99% of anything we do, that element has already been created somewhere. Um, so he, he takes it through design. And once we hit a point for the back and forth, and that's good, then we take it to our front end devs. Front end devs build it and stand it up. And we're able to, you know, they're going to wire in as much as they can just without data into the, to the back end of the product. Mm -hmm. And once we approve that, then it's ready to basically, that's when we insert it into a sprint with our engineering team engineering team then takes it, you know, through our feature of, you know, internal testing, beta, public beta, and then release. But does it feel like there's any waste in that process? Um, in terms of, like, I don't know, for me, it sounds like it takes a long time to go from that Word document where you describe the feature to actually having this in production, because you've got many different steps you have to follow. Yep. You can look at it that way. I guess uh, for me, I view it as like the this all serves as different points for people to touch it, feel it, interact with it, um, socialize it, get people used to it. It's amazing all the things that happen. And, and just as you alluded to, there's nothing like when you actually really use it, right? Yeah. Um, like we probably learn the most about our product when we do our stage of what's called a private beta. When we have, we flag it in our product, you can turn it on and we can start using it at test production accounts we have. Yep. Like that's where we really learn the most. But the good thing is by having the same person doing it, who's using the product, going through all these design processes, 
he sees some of those things before it happens. And even us as a team, we bring up a lot more things. Our, our customer success team is fabulous at, you know, they right away look at it and they think of something that they get asked all the time. And they're like, all right, well, what about this? Because this is what's going to be asked about there. Right. Yep. So we, we do get those iterations, but iterations within there. And there, there is stuff that you could look at like, wow, that seems excessive. But for us, it's really helped tied off a lot of details because for a long time, we were pretty much like build, build as fast as you can and throw it out there. And then you'd be like, oh, here's all the stuff that we need to go back and fix or it could be better. We didn't even think about that and things like that. So we feel like we've arrived at a, at a place that allows us to hit the quality that we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our approach is we build it first and then we tweak it. So I'll look at it and I'm like, okay, we got we want to change this, change that. And then the dev team can turn around those changes in like sometimes while I'm on the call with them, right? They're like, okay, they'll change it in the code, deploy, and be like, okay, refresh, right? So I'm on the call, we're changing, we're updating it regularly. And then once I feel satisfied with it, I throw it over to like Jesse and Nick, have them take a look, throw it over to Brianna over in our customer service team, have her take a look at it. And then we get it pretty much like, yeah, the functionality of this is great. Then we just like, put some lipstick on it. We got a designer to like make it just feel and, and look a little bit more polished. And, and then I feel like it goes out the door. And to me, it feels like some pretty rapid development. It's a, it's a great way of getting to a launch ready product uh, pretty quickly. It works pretty well for us. Yep. And I think that's an important part, right? At, at the end of the day, lots of ways to achieve something. It, it does come down to whatever works best for you. Yeah. In, in getting those things out. And, you know, on one side, I feel like we're, we're pretty agile, right? Like we've gone, we, we talked about, you know, in an earlier episode where we've gone to kind of like a feature a month that is going to get delivered. Yeah. And then we have multiple others that fall underneath it. So we kick out a lot of updates and we push a lot of really, really, you know, in, in our world, what are our big features and, and a lot to tackle on a consistent basis. But I, I think, and to to me, there's even more we can explore, right? Like our our chief experience officer has been with us for a year now, but I still think like he's halfway there to where we really need him and want him to be because he just needs to continue to use the product more and understand it more. And really it's unlocking things because there's always a straight line way to do something, right? And that's the one thing I worry about with like your process as you come into it with this bias of, well, here's how you do it but you didn't take any time to explore what are the other ways to do it or you know how would this work in other environments are there steps i can cut out or what's intuitive for the user you know things like that that what we found in our process in in doing it and kind of creating you know some of these motions in just uh, like a, a clickable wireframe is you get people using it and talking about it really early that sometimes like oh well we can reduce clicks and do it this way or if we add clicks, it takes all this other stuff off the table and makes it easier. Um, so I think there's some really interesting dialogue when you do that. So I, I really look at as, as fast as we can get it to something that can be socialized. And, and you're, in essence, kind of doing it that same way, too. You're just doing it in a full build to some extent. Yeah. One of the failures of our, of our process, well, I may even call it my process, my developers might say that the way I do it sucks because it's frustrating for them, right? Because one of the things that happens is I get this idea, I want this feature. And so I scope it out and then we they start building it. And then we 
we have to ditch it because we realize, you know what, that's not going to work the way we originally planned. And so they've already spent the time to program it, but we ditch it and, be, and we, we come up with a new angle. Whereas with your approach, you avoid that because you think about it in the design and wireframing phase before all the time has been put into actually program it, right? So yeah, I can see the benefit there for sure. Yep. No, I mean the whole, right, like in, in any process, fa fail early and fast if you're if you're going to fail with those things so that you can like recalibrate or restart from what you learned or or where you went wrong and then yep. then try to go from there as fast as possible. Yeah, there's got to be some good guides out there, blog posts on, you know, processes for software development that, you know, I just don't feel like I spent enough time reading and and investing in, like looking at all those different things and thinking about what do we want to incorporate in our process and how do we want to do our next project or feature release, right? Yep. And the, and sometimes you play around with it, right? Like we're definitely constantly adding things or, you know, just tweaking some little things, right? We have, we have kind of our main steps in framework down, but inside of that, we're trying a lot more thing, right? We we realize in a lot of things like, okay, we're, you know, we, we need to socialize this or we need to have more conversations or even a presentation of it with our our engineering team because we kind of like give it to them all wrapped up, but they might not always understand the business case or the use case or some of the things like that. And for a while we were, you know, we do a great job of like creating the feature spec, but then all the changes that we would make while we were designing and building, we would never update the feature spec. So it was right. like, it, it got it started, but you know, we really realize like, oh, well, this thing, it should be the narrative of the feature. And as we make these new options or choices, we need to go back and update that. So the final thing you do like that, that still serves even when you're at, you know, step 28 to finish it up, that feature spec is still informing you or something you can cross check against to make sure you did it right. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Especially when you pass it off to so many hands, right? Because you know, ours ours is going through half a dozen hands in, in the process. Yep. Our process is currently, it works, but I think that we, I think one of the big ones that really stands out in my mind is uh, the rebuild of our rank tracker. That took us like two, three years. And it's because we kept going back to the drawing board on it. We kept, you know, we'd build something and we'd be like, yeah, that doesn't work. And then we would build something else and then we'd build something else. Whereas I think a lot of that anguish could have been saved if we had uh, more of a formal design process. And sometimes it works great. Like if we think about our, our new tool that we just launched that uh, review checker, you know, that was mostly just one guy, Dimitri, thinking about it, putting it together, getting feedback. We tweak the we tweak the system based on the feedback and eventually we've got, you know, something out the door and it worked pretty well there. And, you know, I think a, a formal process for that small tool would have really slowed everything down. So we were able to get something out the door quickly with a part-time developer um, by just letting him roll with it, right? And then he would show us what he's got and we'd be like, okay, well, let's let's make this look a little bit better. Let's change the icons here. Let's change the colors. You know, let's move this and, and put it somewhere else. But the functionality never really changed. All that changed was the placement and layout and design and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for the, for the rank tracker, were, were most of the things you kept coming back to, were they visual displays? Was it how you were displaying things more so than functionality? I think it was a combination was of both. Um, yeah. So it wasn't really the design that was the problem. It was the overall architectural planning, I think was the problem. And 
it was a big it's just a really big project and there's there's two main components to it there's the the crawling architecture that uh, that's a big complicated system that runs on the back end that does all the crawling and then we have the front end interface that pulls in all the data i think there was actually most of the problem wasn't visual it was architectural and so we went back to the drawing board a couple of times on that based off of even technology that we were using were problematic. So we, we started with our database structure being in this one thing called Couchbase, and it worked great until we reached a certain capacity and then it all started falling apart. And so having to shift gears and rebuild something else. And then once you rebuild that, you've got to uh, change something else, like with the way that we're doing other things. Right. So. That was part of the big problem. The, yep. the system works quite beautifully now. Um, one of our developers, Troy, has done a really good job with the crawling platform and the the servers that we use for it and the whole architecture of that is running really well now. So uh, glad to have that behind us, which allows us to rapidly develop all these other things right now. Yep. Just because at, at the time now, I know a majority of your products are siloed from each other. Yep. Do you have a consistent design theme and library across all of those? Is that constantly evolving? Do you introduce, like when you introduce the review tool, did you introduce a new library for that? Like, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, no, we don't, which is bad. So this is part of our problem. We have, uh, we do have this, this concept that we're building is called the platform and we're building our new account system, which does all of our processing and, you know, where customers can log in and see what subscriptions they have, their billing information. That's the base of it. And that's going to evolve into what, what will be an integrated platform. And so that was designed in advance. We have all the Photoshop files, all the Envision stuff for that platform concept. We wireframed it all out. And now the software, so I, I told you we just rebuilt the local citation finder. The design of that is being built by the same guys that designed the platform and using the same concepts. And so it will have a uniform design to our new platform. And then the rank tracker, I'm going to ask the designers to take a pass through that as well to make it also uh, uniform. And then the holy grail will happen some point in 2019 where everything is integrated into one platform. Yeah, that'll be big, but I, I think you'll find just as we did when we started through the redesign of our application interface that like just working from a set library, like developing consistency and predictable elements, like that is such, I think that's such an important pillar in good design, right? Because that your team's not guessing, but also the user yeah, isn't totally. seeing all those inconsistencies, right? Absolutely. And so I, it's going to be great. Like they know that our buttons are always on this spot and they always look like this. It's like, that is what a select yes. dropdown looks like in this application. So, yeah. Yep. Nope. Those visual cues, right? That visual wayfinding just makes it so much easier. And we, we still, I mean, we still have things, right? Like, uh, I think we still have like four to five different like pop-up designs in our product where it's like trying to find, all right, when, when can we sweep through and get those all on one? Sure. That, that kind of stuff. That one little modal that's still that old design. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff just drives me nuts. Right. And I'll, I'll randomly, I, I just had that happen today where I hit something and got into something where it literally, I feel like it was one of the first things ever designed in our in our product, and it's still in there somehow. It's like, oh, remind me to never click on that in a demo again. Right. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. 
it's easier for me to avoid it than to figure out how are we going to get that that one thing changed based on on other pieces that are there. Yeah, I have a I have a tendency to just derail my development team. Like when that stuff comes up, there's anything that bugs me, I'm just like. I'll just ping them on Slack and be like, uh, would you be able to fix this this afternoon? It's like, they're just like, drop what you're doing. Just take a break. I'm sure you're getting tired of it. Just fix this because anything that bugs me too much, I just want to get it done immediately. Yeah. See, I, I have that power in our like feature build process, beta process, whatever else. But um, my our, our product managers now have got to the point where they're like, yep, yeah, we'll, we'll get that in the next sprint. But uh, yeah, that's what I. That's what we need at White Spark. But right now, I'm just like the ultimate dictator. So <laughs> I, it would be good to have somebody to be like, uh, "No, I'm not doing that. You, you, you can't derail our team because we're working towards a sprint and we need to get it finished." Right? Yeah. Now, I, you know, I, I both love and love and hate it. Right? It's like, oh, I, no, I want this done ASP. But on the other side, I'm like, man, I love that we have enough, you know, process and communication and and things that you know don't get someone upset at me just because here's Aaron banging his fist that he wants this done. So it's a, it's a good thing, even though in the moment, sometimes I want to throw a tantrum about it. Yep, for sure. So what do you think? I mean, based on this, do you feel like there's something that you know you want to try different or where are you at? If I think about what, what's on our software development roadmap, it's tough to say because actually a little bit, yes. And so I think what we'll do, because we're finishing phase one of this local citation finder rebuild, which was done development first. I think phase two, now that we're going to have, we're going to have a nice fresh design. We're going to have all the functionality that we need for feature parity. So a brand new system. Before we start development of the new features that I want, will actually wireframe them and then turn the wireframes into proper full designs because we'll have all of the materials to be able to do that. And so I think we're going to get to that point that you're at now where you can go through those phases for a feature because everything that we're building now, they're just new features on the existing well-designed system. So we're going to definitely approach it as from a design first perspective for phase two of that local citation finder. And I think that will work better because then we can have all those discussions in advance before anyone starts writing code. And I think that's where the time savings will be. Yep. Well, and it's figuring out what's most important to you, right? Like there's there's pillars inside this of, you know, for, for me, it was, you know, quality and consistency were the two biggest pillars. You're pointing another one out in being, you know, efficiency. So I think when anybody looks to kind of design their plan around design, uh, however you're going to map that out is you have to figure out, you know, I would start with what are our pillars? What is most important to us, right? Um, uh, obviously, another one is is user experience and, yeah. and usability to it. So what are the three, four or five things you're going to answer to? And as you build a process or figure out, you know, who do we need internally on the team as compared to externally or the talent pool or skill set? You know, how do you answer to those and, and does it meet those like core pillars that you know you need it to meet when, when you design it? And that's where I think that can be different for everyone else based on how they view things or what's important to them. Right. Do you guys ever run your designs uh, across your customers? Like you sort of run it by the customers and say, hey, this is this new feature. Does this kind of look like what you have in mind? 
Yeah. Yeah. We definitely socialize, um, especially with bigger things. Uh, we'll take it to people and see how they feel about it. You know, even in the case with you guys, right. When we do stuff for agency resellers, yeah. we're going to say like, all right, how does white spark feel about it? Right. And let's socialize this or, you know, part of the pieces or let's explain it and see if they get it. And then, you know, if, if they do get it, then there's a lot of questions like, oh, well, can it also do this? Can it do this? So yeah, right. that can be helpful as well. And we've even gotten into that with like our, our monthly webinars, right? Our monthly webinar almost always consists of, hey, here's the, here's the latest thing that we just rolled out. We want to make sure you fully understand it. Here's what's right around the corner, possibly going into beta. If you want to join, here's how to and, and get them excited about that. And then the last is we almost always try to have something that is a sneak peek, right? And so we did that today with a, I just did our March webinar uh, today. And, you know, we gave a sneak peek to a report that you can start to get people excited, right? And you give them something to look forward to, you get them something to get used to, that when you roll it out into the product, they're they're ready and waiting to utilize it because you've already talked about it and explained it and they have the visual cue on it and, and they're wanting it and looking for it instead of, you know, it just being a surprise, which surprises can be good too, but I find when we can kind of seed it as we go along, it, it works out much better. I really want to get into that. I feel like one of the things that we fail at at WhiteSpark is, we'll launch a brand new feature and we don't even tell anybody. It's like, yeah, we got this awesome new feature and we didn't promote it. We did not uh, do a webinar on it. We did not even tweet about it. Just like, yeah, it's this nice little new feature. Whereas, you know, it's an opportunity to to promote the value of this new feature. And, and we often don't do that. We're just so focused on, you know, continuously building and adding new features and improving the software that we don't do a great job of promoting it. And I think what you just described are that process where you get people involved at the early stages, you get them their feedback, you socialize them, and you even get them into the beta early. That All that stuff is so valuable. And it's definitely something I'd like to incorporate at WhiteSpark. Yeah. Now it does just, a, it, it gets the hype going, right? It gets them excited about it. For some people, it's it's a feature or something they've been asking for. So it makes them feel like they're being heard and, and listened to. Yep. And yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of wins on it that, that go go a long way. And we're, we're trying to find more and more ways. How do we do that? Right. Like our last feature text back, like we used a little explainer video just about the feature itself um, and put that out there. So it's like how different mediums can we use? So we're really trying to expand even, you know, I think we do quite a bit, but we want to take it even, even further. Right. Cause at the end of the day, it is about marketing and storytelling and communication and, and getting those things across. And we want to do as much as we can in that arena. Do you have a specific person at uh, GatherUp that's responsible for, you know, prepping the webinars and marketing and writing up the emails or do you do all that yourself? Yeah. So I do way too much of it myself. One step we did take, we hired a, what we just call a product and content marketer last fall. Um, and she's been great. She's taken a lot off my plate from like writing user guides and beta instructions and blog posts and things like that. Um, she still hasn't taken off. Like I still do all the emails. I still do all the webinars. Um, and, and I don't know if that will ever, I, I wouldn't see the webinars being in there, but it's, it's reduced like 50% of my content output where I was 
other than Mike Blumenthal helping out on our blog a lot, like it was all me and it was way too much. So that has been a a really big help, especially with all, all kinds of like littler things. And I think we still have a a long way to go again. You know, she's only six months in still learning products, still learning all these things and, and it's getting, getting better. And we're figuring out some of our processes and ways to excel there. Um, But in my opinion, too much of it still, relies on me to, to execute. Like I can be a great, if you want to ask me about stuff, if you want me to spout off about it or anything else, I would love to be the motivation or the soapbox um, source, but to have someone else write and execute on it, like that would be a dream come true for me. Yeah. I feel pretty lucky to have Jesse. Jesse's been with the company for like nine years. She knows everything. She's also an awesome SEO. She knows the local search space really well. Yep. And so she does all of our newsletter. Uh, when we launch new features, she writes them up, she promotes them, she manages our social media. So we're really lucky to have her to be able to handle all that. She can talk about all of our products, all of our services, and she can talk about local search as well as anybody. So she's, yep. uh, she's really great to have in that role. It takes a lot off of me. I don't have to worry about, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I like your Jesse. And if we weren't such good friends, I would steal your Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs a Jesse. Yeah, she's pretty great. And, you know, when we go to conferences too. She's the one that's there and she'll organize all the stuff and she'll um, talk to the customers. Yeah, so she's great that way. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, that puts a, a wrap on this episode. And in talking uh, design, my advice to people today, and maybe Darren, you have a, a couple of things you want to share, but mine is like, you know, define what your core pillars are that you want to anchor to and, and build a process around that. I, I'm of the ilk that design and visuals are so important. Do not undersell um, what that takes. And if that means, you know, in our case, like where we hired someone with great expertise and allowed them to own it, like that was a big change for us. And it, it allowed us to to work that process um, even better. So I, I think the design process is definitely an important one and not something to just like cobble cobble together for sure uh, for someone building building or enhancing a, a product in today's SaaS market. Yeah, I'd agree with all that advice. I would say that it is it is possible to build things with a more agile, you know, design second approach. And I think that our review checker was a good example. If you have a developer that can design stuff well, then you don't necessarily need to put all of that effort in upfront, depending on what you're building. If it's a small little thing, if it's a big complicated thing, I do think there's a lot of value in putting more effort into the planning and design in advance. And I've learned lessons there. And so, uh, you know, take Aaron's advice on that one. And that's advice that we're going to start taking a little bit more here too, where we do the planning in advance because I think that there's generally good value in that and you avoid pitfalls in the future. Yep. Well, well said. All right. Well, Darren, when we talk next, we'll be able to get your download of of some time in England and London and uh, good luck at the yep. at the Brighton uh, conference, knock, knock them dead and uh, find some time to enjoy yourself and have a few pints and and eat some good food as well. Thank you. I'm going to try to do all those things. It's going to be good. (laughs) You will excel. I have no doubt. (laughs) The the pint drinking anyways. (laughs) Totally. All right. Thanks everybody for joining us uh, on another episode of the SAS Venture. Uh, Happy to have you with us and we will see you next time. See you next time.